Stark Law Liability is not a fiction. It is real. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Episode 6 of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am the host. And today we're going to be talking about some of the non-structural compensation issues that have impacted settlements as well as some cases dealing with the Stark Law. And I emphasize non-structural because there are structural violations and then there's non-structural violations with respect to fair market value and compensation. So let me give you an example of structural so you can understand what I'm talking about. Structural are those issues where let's say that the compensation is based upon a bonus pool and the bonus pool is derived from DHS revenue. So this would be the ancillary referral. So if you've got to have a primary care physician and our physician group owned by a hospital, and the hospital establishes a bonus pool that, again, by way of example, if they put 15% of the margin from the referrals of those physicians into the hospital as hospital inpatients, and then that bonus pool is distributed to those referring physicians, then that bonus pool is created from the referrals of DHS, which is prohibited. So that's considered a structural defect of compensation. The compensation ultimately may be fair market value, but the fact that the compensation pool or bonus pool was derived from DHS referrals and tied to those referrals, that would make the compensation a structural defect. So I'm going to be focusing on non-structural. And in order to drive home the point that this is not just fiction that we're talking about, I'm going to provide some some very recent settlements and cases and talk about the dollar amounts of those cases and just generally what the issues are. Now, when I describe these issues, they are alleged issues. So a lot of these, uh, there's only been one court case that have been determined all the way through the court without a settlement, and that's the Toomey case. And I'll probably spend one entire episode just on the Toomey case. But these are the allegations, just the primary allegations. There's Obviously, I can probably do a whole episode on each one of these cases and the facts and circumstances of the cases. So I'm just going to fly at a very, very high level. So you can see you know, what the issues were and also the dollar amounts and questions. And I have about 10 of the cases, and then I'm going to give you a list of what I would consider to be the top non-structural fair market value compensation issues that impact the Stark Law. So the first one is the Willing Hospital case. Recent case, $50 million settlement. Uh, There are issues with high compensation versus productivity, which I've talked about in a previous uh, episode. 
that the hospital system through the, the employed physicians was incurring significant losses. So losses was part of the, the issue that the QUITAM relator brought forward. And there also was allegation that the compensation was tied to downstream or ancillary revenue. And you're going to hear that sort of as a theme of a lot of these cases, that the compensation is tied to the ancillaries or the downstream revenue, meaning that but for the revenue coming in from the ancillaries, like the referrals of the inpatients, then the compensation or the employment arrangement just would not make sense. Uh, the next one is the Bookwalter case with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Uh, in this case, there was allegations that the hospital system was billing for physician assist, teaching services, and partial surgeries that did not occur, also tied to downstream revenue, the ancillaries. And also there was an allegation that the services were not all personally performed for which the physicians were receiving WRVU credit. And so those were issues like if they're receiving credit for a nurse practitioner, physician assistant services, and the like. So there's some allegations that the physicians in the productivity compensation arrangement took into consideration the services rendered by those non-physician practitioners. Sutter Health uh, was $46 million settlement. Uh, billing for uh, radiology services uh, that were performed through an ambulatory surgery center, but they also were billed simultaneously as outpatients. So there was an allegation of double billing, so double credit given to the physicians for compensation. There was uh, free or below fair market value leases. Professional services arrangements were, uh, were given out to physicians who were referral sources at above fair market value. And also, this implicated the the False Claims Act because they retained the overpayments once known. Next, I'm going to head to Beaumont Hospital in Michigan, $84.5 million, uh, above fair market value compensation, free or below fair market value lease arrangements for referring physicians. The work was not documented. So they had some uh, issues with respect to compensation for work, but the hospital could not prove that the work actually occurred. And also the Beaumont case was interesting because also tied to research and research dollars, where the hospital allegedly was providing support and assistance for research programs that were being conducted outside of the hospital by the physician. So this was not hospital-sponsored research. This is physician-sponsored research, but the hospital is providing space and personnel uh, for that research. So giving it to the physicians free, but the physicians were otherwise compensated for the research by the research institute. So if you have any research involved, be very careful that the hospital does not inappropriately support research that is not 100% research for the hospital. Next is Kalispell Regional Health System. This is out of Montana, $24 million in settlement. The, uh, and this is where the uh, fair market, uh, full-time equivalency was at issue, that they were paying physicians as a 1.0 FTE, but some of the physicians allegedly were providing less than a 1.0 FTE of services. And the hospital also provided management services for uh, private practice at below fair market value rates. So if the hospital provides something of value and you're providing that below fair market value to the physicians, that could implicate the Stark as well as the anti-kickback statute. Next, we're going to head to Ohio with the Akron General uh, Health System. This is a $21.3 million settlement. 
high compensation, uh, obviously, again, the total cash compensation not being tied to productivity, as well as there was a connection with the downstream or ancillary uh, referrals. Next is uh, Boston Heart. So this is out of Massachusetts. So this is a laboratory, Boston Heart Diagnostics Corporation. And this was a $26.7 million settlement. Uh, there was allegation that there was above fair market value consulting fees for physicians. The physician investments were tied to the amount of anticipated referrals. So the physicians were investors in this laboratory, and I'll hit that point next. But they were investors in the laboratory, but the investment interest offered uh, to the physicians were in direct correlation with the physician's anticipated referrals. Now, I indicated that the physicians were owners of the laboratory, and as we have found out, uh, that in an ownership arrangement, you know, outside of a group practice, the physicians cannot be an owner of a laboratory, which is DHS, and refer to that, uh, that entity. So the ownership was also bad. And the other thing that was alleged is that uh, referring physicians were provided, uh, were packaging the laboratory samples and sending those laboratory samples in for evaluation. In the laboratory, since the laboratory was being reimbursed by the payer for those services, that the laboratory was paying the referring physicians for, I will do air quotes, packaging services. And the allegation was that those packaging services were above fair market value. So if you're going to provide any type of compensation for a service, you want to make sure that you're paying fair market value for that service. Next, we're going to head to Oklahoma City. So the Oklahoma Center for Orthopedic and Multi-Specialty Surgery. This is an ambulatory surgery center, but there is a stark hook. As we've learned, ASC procedures in and of themselves are not DHS. But if a physician benefits through that arrangement and that benefits being provided by a hospital, then stark could uh, be implicated. Uh, the settlement was for $72.3 million dollars. And I'm going to emphasize this now, doctors actually paid part of that settlement, and I'll hit that at the end. But in this case, that there was an offering of free or below fair market value for space, equipment, and supplies. There was above fair market value compensation for management services to referring physicians. And also there was a, an equity buyback that was coordinated through the Ambulatory Surgery Center. And the amount of that buyback was deemed or alleged to be above fair market value. Now, in this case, two doctors also ended up paying a portion of that settlement. And they ended up paying $6.2 million. So out of the $72.3 million, $6.2 actually came from physicians who were part of that arrangement. Next, we're going to head to Erie, Pennsylvania, the UPMC Hammett case. Well, the, uh, the settlement was for $20.8 million, $20.8 million. So above fair market value for administrative services. They earned, entered into 12 administrative service arrangements with doctors, and there is an allegation that those administrative services were either duplicative or they were not performed. So there was really no, the alleged, no legitimate need for those administrative services. And they also, they, they indicated that they were not performed. So this may be a case of the physicians or the organization not adequately documenting that those services were performed. Now, they may have been performed, but they were not adequately documented as part of the case. 
Next, we're going to head to Naples, Florida with Health Management Associates. Uh, This is a a big one, $260 million. There's a lot going on in this case, but I'm going to focus on the Stark Law aspects of this case. So first off, there was free space and staff that was being provided to referring physicians. Uh, The allegation was that there was above fair market value compensation for the services rendered. And anytime you say above fair market value, either their subjective factors could not support or the productivity did not closely align with the total cash that was being paid or the cash that was being paid for that service. Also, there was an allegation in this case that four physicians received a free golf trip benefit, all expense paid. Uh, golf uh, trip. And so, uh, if, and obviously that is a benefit. So therefore it's compensation. Now, can you give a golf trip? Yes, but you can give a golf trip only in connection with services. And then the value of that golf trip has to be earned through the services rendered by the physician. So, uh, in lieu of receiving $10,000 in cash, can you give a $10,000 golf outing benefit to a physician in consideration for the services rendered? Yes, but in this case, uh, there was no connection, alleged connection with the services being rendered, and so they received a free uh, golf trip, uh, which violated the Stark Law, and also that there were high costs for the acquisition of the physician practices. And I'll I'll have an episode with another speaker uh, on the, the podcast talking about how do you value acquisition of practices? But in this case, there was an allegation that there was above fair market value for the acquisition of the practices, which would implicate not only the Stark Law, but also the anti-kickback statute. So I have a list here of what I am referring to as the non-structural issues that we need to be thinking about with respect to Stark Law compliance. Uh, The first one is questionable services, be it professional or administrative or medical director or research. Uh, Either you need to make sure that, number one, that they're reasonable services and they're actually performed. And let me just talk a little bit about just the documentation of services. Uh, One time I uh, gave a a timesheet to a physician that we had a medical directorship with, and the physician looked at me and said, look, I don't work at McDonald's. And so I'm not going to fill out a timesheet. And I said, well, the only way that we can defend you, doctor, and defend the organization is to have some type of way that we can account for the services that that you're rendering in order to substantiate the payment that we're making. And I'll probably have another episode just dealing with medical directorships, but we need to make sure that if it's not being performed on a full-time basis, that there is another way that you can account for the services rendered so that the services being rendered are consistent with the compensation being paid. Next, uh, and this is akin to the first issue, is that uh, little to no work or services not being performed, again, is the reason to have an accounting for those services. Next, I want to talk about this ancillary or downstream revenue. Uh, A lot of these cases said that the compensation was tied to the referrals of downstream revenue and, again, air quotes, but for the physicians referring the ancillary or downstream DHS, the compensation arrangement did not make any sense. Now, first off, is it okay to track your downstream or ancillary revenue? Yes. It is definitely legal to track the downstream revenue that's being generated by each physician. It's what do you do with that information? If you use it as a sword 
and basically said, if you do not increase your downstream revenue or maintain the downstream revenue, then we're going to decrease your compensation. Then you're using the tracking as a weapon, and then now there's a connection with their referrals and the compensation. But if you're just merely providing it for information purposes only, uh, and, and nothing else, then that's perfectly legal. So if you're going to be providing this tracking uh, information of the downstream or referrals from your physicians, employed or independent contractors, then you'll need to make sure that they understand the reason or justification. Next, you want to make sure that it includes, the compensation only includes personally performed services unless there's some way that you're accounting for that. Uh, so you know, if there are services being performed by nurse practitioners, physician assistants, CRNAs, techs, therapists, so you want to make sure that you do not give the physician credit if you're compensating the physician on a productivity basis. Uh, next is a high compensation per WRVU. Uh, you'll want to make sure, as we talked in previous episodes, that you keep the compensation per WRVU close to the 50th percentile, maybe 60th percentile in extreme cases, possibly go above. But be careful with that. Next one is you want to make sure that if you have a bonus program that you monitor the terms and only compensate the bonus program based upon meeting those terms. Like if you have a quality index and they're supposed to increase by 10 percentage points on whatever criteria that you're, you're marking, if they do not meet that 10% or you don't track it in order to account for it, then you can't pay it or you shouldn't be paying for it. Next, you want to make sure that if you have a base compensation and then additional productivity compensation above a threshold, that the base compensation is appropriately met and the threshold aligns with the base compensation. And so you like if you're going to set the compensation at the 50th percentile, there should be a reasonable expectation that the physician's productivity is going to be close to the 50th percentile. I've already talked about the FTE status. If you're going to pay the physician as a 1.0, make sure the physician's performing as a 1.0. Overcoding of EM services could result in compensation that's not warranted, so above fair market value. Overvalued acquisition. Uh, which I've referred to in one of the cases, too high management services or management compensation that could also uh, be above fair market value that ultimately the net revenue would go to the referring physicians. Uh, you could uh, watch for fair market value for space, supplies, and personnel, including providing free space, supplies, or personnel. I'll give you one example about free personnel. This is actually a, a case. I'm going to change the facts slightly. But let's assume that uh, the hospital employs a wound therapist and the hospital sends the wound therapist to an orthopedic surgeon's office to provide services and provides the supplies. And then the orthopedic surgeon uses the hospital's therapist and bills for those services. Then the hospital, in effect, will be providing a free benefit uh, to that orthopedic surgeon, which would violate the Stark Law. So that rounds out the issues for today for episode number six. I'm going to give you the Captain Integrity Punch Points, the three Captain Integrity Punch Points. Punch point number one is million-dollar settlements have occurred, like I listed at the beginning of this episode. Number two, document the services being performed, whether the services are administrative 
or clinical services, so the 1.0 FTE alignment or whatever the FTE alignment is, and medical director, administrative, research hours, that you're tracking those hours or have some way to track it, either the hospital tracks it or ask the doctor to track it. And punch point number three is do not tie compensation to downstream revenue or the contribution margin. This means the referrals coming from the physicians. You don't want to have any connection with compensation. You can track it. You can report it, uh, but that's just a reporting mechanism. You just can't tie it to the compensation. So, again, the three Captain Integrity punch points are, number one, million-dollar settlements have occurred for fair market value infractions. Number two, document the services being performed. And punch point number three, do not tie compensation to downstream revenue or the contribution margin coming from the referring physicians. And thank you for listening to episode number six. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.